1: Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap what is oddly a lot of news for a you know typical mid-season, middle-of-the-week podcast, because... Uh, John Robinson, after yet another Titans loss, I say yet another two in a row, after another Titans loss, uh, decided he was going to go on the roster purge, making the decision to part ways with long snapper Bo Brinkley, pass rusher Vic Beasley, and cornerback Jonathan Joseph. We will break down all three of those releases. We'll also look ahead to the Titans' upcoming matchup against the Bears and talk about what needs to happen with the Titans defense and whether the newest addition to that defense, Desmond King, who the Titans traded for, will make a big difference. So as we start, guys, let's just start right out of the gate with, with let's not bury the lead. Right? The, the, the lead here is the three roster cuts. Uh, Beasley makes sense. I don't know that we expected it. Joseph, I certainly expected that to happen. Uh, let's start with Joseph. Uh, talk us through that, Matthias.
2: Oh man, Jonathan Joseph. Yeah. I mean, you, you shared the clip on our, on our podcast, Twitter account uh, yesterday, pretty much, uh, doing a victory lap for us. We just, we knew, we knew we, we did not want him to play because he was 36 years old. He was coming off several really poor seasons with the Texans, Mm -hmm who they kept starting him. We don't know why, but he was getting burned every single season. He had clearly lost a lot of steps. And we thought we, he was coming in as, like, you know, just a depth guy. And we didn't want him to ever play because we knew that if he did, he would get exposed. And that's exactly what happened. Granted, uh, the Titans were put in a bad position because Dory Jackson has been injured. Uh, Christian Fulton hasn't developed as, I guess, as the coaching staff has wanted. But, I mean, I would have played Fulton over Joseph considering these past couple of games. It's been it's been absolutely brutal, and everyone, every single team was targeting him. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's no surprise that he got cut. A lot of players have gotten cut for less than this, and he was just actively hurting the team. So I'm glad— I'm not glad he got cut because I don't want to see anyone get released, but I'm glad John Robinson was actually proactive about about first getting a better cornerback and also releasing a guy who shouldn't be on an NFL team at this point in time.
3: Yeah, and you know it's good that it happened this week. Like if it was ever going to happen, it's good that they basically came off the loss to the Bengals and they said, okay, you know we know the guys that are getting us hurt and getting us beat we've identified them now is the last chance we have to go out and trade for somebody. If we want to improve our team, otherwise we're, you know, we're either going to find free agents off the street or use the guys we have or whatever. But you know, these three guys are going to get cut. So, you know, like Beasley, uh, we talked about that, about the agent connections and all that stuff. And our slash my theory that it was just kind of a snow job that John Robinson got tricked on. And then, Joseph, as putting this in the nicest way possible, was always just kind of a hat tip to Clowney to get him in the door. I mean, that and the fact that he worked with the Titans defensive backs coach uh, Midget when he was in Houston and he worked with Vrabel and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, like we all kind of knew what that was. And like you said, Matias, like, I mean... That that was the response early on was, okay, great. Just don't ever let him see the field. And then he started eight games for us. So, you know, that obviously didn't go according to plan. But, yeah, like, it's it's unfortunate. You don't like to spend money on players that don't even play a full season. Uh, but you'd rather do that than watch this happen over and over again for the next eight weeks.
1: Yeah, and I tweeted either during or right after the, uh, the Bengals game that – John Robinson caught Parrish Cox back in 2015, I want to say that was, uh, and he had a much better game then, than what Joseph had, and and I'm with you, Matias. I've got some harsher words for Vic Beasley in just a second, but with Joseph, it's all, it's kind of sad, like, and it's partially the fault of the teams that are willing to pay him, you know, in this case, the Titans, but Jonathan Joseph has had a great career. He's a nice guy. He's a good locker room leader. But it just wasn't there anymore, and it was obvious. I mean, Joe Burrow, a rookie quarterback, was just throwing it up to wherever Joseph was. And, look, that's just the way things work in the NFL. When you're really bad, you get cut. And It's a tough situation because, you know, Joseph goes from you know when he was young enough to play and play well – uh, a respected and and good cornerback, and and now he kind of leaves a team as the butt of a joke and and the laughing stock. So, it is a little bit sad, and I and I, I would wish him the best in his career and his life. And now, where things get more aggressive, at least for me, in terms of the rhetoric, I'm going to bring to this conversation. Is, is the Vic Beasley situation, and Will, you hinted at it. This was something that never made sense. I mean, I remember I was having a follow-up after my eye surgery when the Beasley sighting happened, and I remember sitting in the doctor's office thinking, what? Like, this, this is just off-brand. I think we all three made that comment, that it was off-brand for the Titans. A guy with known effort problems... Um, And very limited production after one really good year in, like, 2016. And it just never really made sense. And then things got uh, progressively worse once training camp started and he didn't show up for 10 days. This whole situation has been... I can't even think of the word. Like, it's been a sham. It has just been awful. And then he... Had that bizarre press conference where he attributed his training camp absence to, um, like having to work out disagreements with someone, and you know we all got things we got to work out. Like this was just really weird. Like John Robinson, all you know they always talk about bringing in guys that love football, and you roll your eyes when you hear that. What they mean is bring in guys who aren't Vic Beasley, because this guy clearly did not like football. Gave them zero production for $9.5 million, minus whatever he gave back to them in fines. And and it was just, this is, it's a stain on John Robinson's record. You know, John Robinson has been an exceptional general manager for the Titans, but this is a stain on his record, and it's a bad one. He wasted $10 bucks on a dude that didn't care, didn't want to be here, clearly, and didn't give them anything on the field. You know, sometimes you put up with the attitude if you're at least getting production. But this dude was getting tossed around like a ragdoll by one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL on Sunday. I've, I've rambled for a while. I've felt very strongly about this situation for a couple of months now. And whereas with Jonathan Joseph, I'm with your sentiment, Matias, where it's not like, you know, ding-dong, the witch is dead. It's kind of sad and, and just sort of had to happen. This one, I'm I'm sitting here saying, ding-dong, the witch is dead. Finally, this was overdue. Good riddance.
2: Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, even it's going to sound like we're touting ourselves for our previous takes, but even when they made the signing, we and a lot of other Titans fans, a lot of Titans analysts were just like, well, this is weird. He doesn't really fit the Titans mantra at all because the Titans have always— especially under John Robinson, have looked for players that give 100% effort all the time. They're high-character guys. And it's not to say that Vic Beasley is a bad guy. We, we don't know that. He, he might be a, a good guy for all we know. But the effort clearly wasn't there. And everyone who was a Falcons fan or a Falcons writer could tell you that the reason he left Atlanta was because he gave no effort. And he was bad. He was completely inconsistent. Most of it was due to his own personal issues in terms of in terms of effort and motor and all that. So this was just really weird. Like I know uh, I know pass rush was the biggest uh, the biggest offseason need, but it just never made any sense to to bring in a guy like this, and especially for nine and a half million dollars. Like I know it's a one year deal, but nine and a half million dollars was a good amount for a player who really only had one good season, maybe one and a half good, good seasons. So, yeah, it was just weird from the start. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised he didn't make it the full season. I mean, I remember I remember when he went missing, we were like uh is he ever even going to play a game for the times? We were we were shocked he even played one. Uh he ended up playing 8 even though he probably shouldn't have because his performance didn't dictate that he should, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. We, I'm we glad were, we were Garrett making Robertson's. bets
1: as to whether he or a player that wasn't even on the team, Jadevian Clowney, would be the first to debut. Yeah. And you know who it ended up being? The one that wasn't on the team. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Crazy times. Like, we all, I think we all reacted the same way when the D which was – At first, it was scary because it was like the Titans have agreed to terms with Vic Beasley. And then it was like we had to wait 30 minutes before they said it was just a one-year deal. So I think that helped make the deal more palatable because for a second, we all thought we were going to be on the hook for like a four-year, $40 million contract. and Because that was when like – I forget who, but somebody got a big deal who like was an edge rusher who – didn't really do anything and they got like a $7 million deal and it felt like Beasley was going to make $15 million. And then Beasley made a one year, like $10 million deal or whatever. And it didn't feel quite as bad, but we still didn't love the the signing. So, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of in the minority here. I don't fault Robinson for doing it because even with the issues he had, I don't think he ever had less than five sacks in a season, which, would have been great. Like, I mean, that's more than half of what the Titans have now. So, you know, if you could have gotten that out of him as a rotational pass rusher and a replacement for Cameron wake, like I I completely understand doing that move. But the problem is, is that, that they didn't get somebody with a good work ethic. They didn't get somebody who was interested in football. They didn't get somebody who was ever going to live up to the potential or the athletic traits they showed coming out of college. And, you know, You roll the dice. You don't sign up for a long-term commitment. We always talk about if it works out, great. If it doesn't, it's just one year. And then it doesn't. And in the moment, it's like, well, that really does suck. But at the same time, I mean, that's just the gamble you take. So uh, the Beasley signing, to me, is much less bothersome than the Joseph signing because the Joseph signing was basically to appeal to a guy who almost didn't sign with the team anyway and who hasn't done anything since he's gotten here. So – uh, like like I said, I, I don't really fault John Robinson for doing this because he did it with all the information he had in a situation where any other year he would have met with him in person. It just happened to be the year that COVID spread. And, you know, we've got all this these issues where he can't be in the same room with them. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'm always a John Robinson apologist. So. I always come down on the side of, you know, how could John Robinson have been right in this scenario? And that's just kind of, I think, where I was when the move happened. But, you know, they cut bait. It's over. Thank goodness.
1: You know, my brand for a while has been, you can't lose with a one-year contract. But as I was telling you all earlier, uh, this was an L. This, This was the one time I will sit here and say, Yeah, that one-year contract was a loss. That was a weird one. Bo Brinkley, who has long snapped every field goal attempt and every punt for the Titans since 2012, was also among the players who who were released by the Titans on Tuesday. Will, this has been something that you have been on for quite some time. Yeah, like
3: you never want to be the guy that kind of pats themselves on the back when somebody gets cut that nobody's talking about. But I mean, Bo Brinkley has not, and there's an excuse out right now that says that he didn't have his strength since dealing with COVID and that that's part of the issue. And that's why he got cut and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, he really has not been good all season. Like even in Denver, he was snapping some low and that he, he just hasn't been very good. Now, you know, there was just an episode of Bustin' with the Boys where Brett Kern was on, and he talked about how much he liked Bo Brinkley and how strong he was and how he's one of the best long snappers in the league last year because it was so big that he could kind of block and then get downfield and be in position to make a play. And all that's great. And all that was true in 2019. But in 2020, Bo Brinkley just was not very good for the Titans. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he comes back next year. But you can't keep two long snappers on the team. And if he's not doing his job now, then they're going to bring up Overton to long snap. And they've had him in uh, on the practice squad for a while. So, you know, it, it's going to be a pretty smooth transition there. But, you know, I, I don't know why anybody's surprised by this other than the fact that they just don't really watch long snapper play. But it's really easy to tell when a long snapper is good or when he's bad. When he's good, you don't see the ball kind of rolled to the kicker. You don't see muffed punts, all that stuff. We saw that what once in the Steelers game when uh, Kern had to pick it up and run, and he tried to throw it when there's 10 guys 15 yards down the field, and that didn't work. And uh, thank goodness Roethlisberger threw the interception in the end zone. And then this past week, he rolled a punt or rolled a snap back to – Uh, Kern who was holding it for the kick and that didn't get up and they had to scramble and Kern got hurt. So, you know, you can't be that blatantly obvious with your mistakes two weeks in a row and expect to keep your job. But like I said, maybe, maybe there was an issue with the COVID not, not the COVID he got, but the COVID situation. And maybe if he gets to train with a good facility and with good, you know, strength coaches or whatever, then he'll get back to his normal shape because he and the rest of the special teams players are all friends. So, you know, that goes a long way, and that trust goes a long way. So he might be back, and Bauer reports he's a really good guy, but he just was not helping the Titans this year.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's the appropriate take. I think he certainly could be back. Uh, I don't know that the CDC is going to add long snapping deficiencies to their list of, of COVID symptoms to watch out for, but I agree with you that missing time and and perhaps being out of shape could have you know led to that in some way. Before we get into the Titans' big addition that they made through the trade, cornerback Desmond King, I want to talk a little bit about the pass rush in general because now without Beasley, uh, they're going to have to let some other guys play because pretty much on the edges it has been exclusively Beasley, Clowney, and Landry this year. Uh, They're going to need another guy now. What's the plan now for the Titans with a four-man pass rush?
2: No idea. They They need to get someone else, right? Like, I know Beasley and Correa weren't doing anything, but they're at least bodies and they're gone. Uh, Clown, Clowney and Landry haven't really been as, as efficient and dominant as, as maybe we expected them to be together. Uh, we like Roberson. Finally, he's going to get another chance, but clearly he wasn't practicing well because the coaches weren't playing him uh, even when Beasley was still here, so... I don't know. I I, I don't know. I I mean, I saw someone mention Tazar Skipper. I I don't I don't know who that even is. Uh, Wyatt Ray apparently drew drew rave reviews in uh, in training camp, but he hasn't been active for a game in his career. I don't think so. Like, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if it could get worse, but given the given the names that are on the roster right now, I don't see it getting better.
3: Well, you know, this is kind of all chicken and egg stuff. It's like, is the coverage the problem or is the pass rush the problem? Uh, And And, I agree
1: with that 100%.
3: Yeah, like very clearly, if the quarterback's getting the ball out in less than two seconds, you've got two ways you can get to the quarterback. You can have an elite speed rusher like Cameron Wake, who their, their first step is so quick that they're instantly in the quarterback's face. Or you can have somebody penetrate from inside at defensive tackle, or with a linebacker blitz. And credit to Simmons, who leads the Titans in sacks with two. You know he's been able to do that a couple of times, but that's not a recipe for success. And that's on the defensive backs to stop. Now, on the other hand, there have been way too many plays where on third and twelve, Vrabel and the rest of the you know defensive coaching staff, if you can call them that have called three-man rushes or four-man rushes where the edges are supposed to contain. And then at that point, it's is it the scheme that's the problem? Because it, it's pretty – so when – especially Landry, when you watch him and he takes two steps and tries to dip on the outside shoulder of – maybe sometimes it's three steps, but if he takes those steps and tries to dip on the shoulder of the offensive tackle and bend, that's when he's allowed free reign and he's actually able to rush the passer. If you see him take two or three steps and stop and square his shoulders, that's when he's being told to contain. And that's a good way to evaluate like what, what the Titans front four is trying to do in that scenario. And when they do that, when they just play that quarterback contained, they're hoping for the quarterback to make a mistake and they're playing what I've called all season, the, you know, please, please drop it defense where you just hope the wide receiver makes a mistake. But, you know, on the rare occasions where they're allowed to rush, they are getting pressure. So it just seems too obvious for, I mean, I, I, let me rephrase that. To me, the solution is simple, which is you just let your front four play, and now that you've got new bodies on the back end, you let them cover a little bit more aggressively. And if you get beat, you get beaten four plays and not 12 plays like they have been the last two weeks. But, I mean, maybe it's not that simple, but I sure don't understand why it's not that simple.
1: You know, getting 10 sacks in the NFL is not some sort of, like, Remarkable achievement. It, it's the test for like, are you better than just an above average or good pass rusher? John Robinson hadn't brought in anybody that's really gotten terribly close to that. I mean, I know Landry, what had eight two years ago.
3: He had nine last year.
1: Nine last uh, year, and and he had a tenth one in the playoffs.
3: But yeah. <laughs> If, if we're if we're just counting, but go
1: ahead. <laughs> Can we? Let's have the Landry debate again. No, no, <laughs> not again.
2: I mean,
1: will you I mean, at least will you at least admit he's bad against the run? No,
2: yes, I I, I, I don't. Like, that's that's something... setting the edge. Setting the edge. Yeah, I'm not talking yeah. about like yeah, you know like
3: yeah if he if he's if he's asked to like. Be Jeffrey Simmons on the outside, then yeah, he's not very good at it. If it's like a toss sweep to his side and he chases down somebody, he's, he's not bad at it, but I I don't know, like that's something that would be great if we ever did a periscope or something where we could show what we're talking about, because I've taken pictures of the all 22 and sent it to y'all in slow motion to say, look at what Landry's doing here. And you know, (laughs) it's easier to do if we can kind of get everybody involved. (laughs) <laughs> but I still maintain that the running problems are maybe 99% on Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown and not on your 250-pound edge rusher who shouldn't be asked to do that much in the run game anyway.
1: I will ask this, though.
2: I think that's fair.
1: I, 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 I want to say this. I, I get the numbers are there. I have not noticed Landry this year. Well, right. that's
3: because your eyes cut mm-hmm. immediately to 33, who's 50 I, yards off the ball. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, oh, why is that I wide
1: receiver? I think Land-
2: you know? Landry's been one of our better defensive players. Like, uh, like, I don't think that's a hot take at all. Maybe we I haven't do. noticed him pop that often, but I think he's been probably our most consistent pass rusher, other than Simmons, of course. But, I mean, I don't know. He actually gets pressure. I, I mean, he actually, like, beats his offensive lineman in front of him most of the time i can't say the same for the other guys
1: let's talk about desmond keen guys the titans traded a six round pick for the former all pro uh, defensive back and kick returner particularly putt returner um i loved this deal and i'm not one of these people that's you know sitting here whining and pounding the table about how you got a trade or you just don't care. Uh, I, and I don't know that if it was going to cost more ter- a whole lot more than what it did. You do necessarily make that trade. But when you can get a guy who's 25 years old, 11 years younger than your previously incumbent starting corner, um, who has not only experience but pretty good experience, I think you pull the trigger like I don't know that this dude could be Joseph 2.0 and I would still sit here and say, "Yeah, pretty good train."
2: He will not be Joseph 2.0 oh, uh, no, by, by any by any means. First of all, he's young, so he's not incredibly slow. He's also been a pro bowler uh, all pro 2 years ago. He was one of the best cornerback prospects in his draft. The only reason he failed was because his 40 time wasn't up to par. And you know how NFL teams just fall in love with 40 times for some reason, which is so weird. But they don't really matter for slot cornerbacks. Like, it, it just doesn't matter. If you're good at playing slot cornerback, you're going to be good in the NFL one way or another. I mean, we saw it with Logan Ryan, he was never fast. Uh, but he made do and was one of the better uh, Titans cornerbacks that possibly we've, we've ever had. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this. I mean, they were shopping around right before the draft, and a lot of people, myself included, we thought they probably should have called the Chargers about him just because he had that track record of being an all-pro. He's kind of a Swiss army knife in terms of being a punt returner, also a slot corner, and he can also play outside. Uh, He's one of those guys that can also be used on blitzes and stuff like that. So he's a really versatile player. And he's also a really good player in in terms of efficiency and even metrics. I mean, I know we hate PFF, but he's been one of their best rated cornerbacks this year. And in 2018, I'm not sure, last year. But, you know, I I just think this is a really good, really good um, addition. Fulton hasn't been what we thought. He was gonna be. He's also been injured, uh, but I still think Fulton's the future. But for this year, we clearly needed more help. And trading for King, who I think is a free agent after this year, uh, it w- it just made sense uh, to get him as a rental. And if he kills it, if he does really well, I mean, he might be he might be staying here on a long term contract, especially with Butler getting up there in age and agent's contract is running out in a couple of seasons. I wouldn't be surprised if the trio going forward is Adore Jackson, Desmond King, and Christian Fulton.
3: Yeah, like, I I think that's a really, really, really good take. Like, I think, first of all, there's a lot of talk about his versatility, and you talked about him playing inside and outside, and I think that's fair. But there's people that talk about him as maybe a safety or whatever. Predominantly in his career, he's played slot corner. Like, in 2018, he was an all-pro slot corner most, I would say 75% or more of his snaps come inside as a slot corner. The smart thing for the Titans to do, and that's a leap of faith, is to just let him be a slot corner. We've seen them play match corner over the last two weeks because they thought Adoree was coming back and he hasn't, which I don't know what's going on there. But the uh, the plan seems to be let Malcolm Butler take one guy, let Jonathan Joseph slash Ty Smith take the other guy, which thankfully should be upgraded to a Dory this week. uh, And then have just whoever in the slot. And it's been Chris Jackson or Fulton or, or whatever. Fulton in the slot has not been very good. He just, he doesn't seem to be a natural there. And it was always kind of a weird fit, even though, you know, he did play some early in his career at LSU, but he was a boundary corner for, you know, the last season and, Maybe the season before that, but you know, like he was always a guy who thrived better on the boundary. Like it, it was strange that they wanted him to play in the slot when there were other guys who were more experienced in the slot. But this retroactively makes all those moves make sense. You get Christian Fulton on a rookie contract. Adoree's going to be on his fifth year option next year. I believe yes. Desmond King is now, uh, Sorry if you hear my fire alarm going off. Uh, Desmond King is now uh, the full-time slot corner. So going forward, you have your prototype for, you know, Adore is your number one. Malcolm Butler slash Christian Fulton is your number two, and then King is your slot like that. If you want to play match corner, you have suddenly made this team much easier to evaluate because, like, like I said, you've got those matchups already, and it fits what everybody does well. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if that was a John Robinson decision or if Mike Vrabel said, it turns out that this guy you got can't cut it in the slot and we're going to have to play him outside. I, I don't know how that came about, but Desmond King, who, like I said, was an all pro in 2018 falling into their laps is great. And he just so happened to be a second team, all pro punt returner. So, you know, like kill two birds with one stone and that stone is a 6th run pick. So it, that, that's a great move, and like you said, maybe he comes in and he's not very good. But you know, if you're gonna take a chance, a sixth round pick for a guy who is extremely cheap, you're out in eight games if you don't like him. You can use the franchise tag if you love him. You know, if he has all pro upside on on defense and as a special teams player, like I mean, come on, like there, there's very little you can do with a sixth round pick that's more impressive than that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm really with you on the punt return stuff. When was the la- we we talked about it before the season started? When was the last time this team had a competent punt returner? I mean, I get Khalif Raymond has just become the guy that doesn't make mistakes. Usually, they have one or the other. They have someone who can who can break it, and all they do is fumble and muff and turn the ball over. They have someone who's never going to make a mistake, but also is never going to get more than three yards. Is this
2: finally the solution to that problem? Yes, although I don't have a lot of experience watching him on punt returns. I'm going to be honest with you. But the numbers say that he's a very good punt returner. So, and it can't get worse. It, it, it honestly cannot get worse. After what we saw with the Dory. and yeah, you're right, Khalif hasn't made any mistakes, but... I mean, he's had a lot of punts where he's lost yardage because he's really bad at it. So, I, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited that we have a guy with a track record who, who you know, has actually done it at the highest level. Uh, I know Dory was a good punt returner in college, but he just never showed that uh, in the NFL. So, I'm excited about that. In, in terms of your question, when's the last time? I mean, Mary Annie, but the first time. Like, the second time we brought him back, he was clearly not the same, but... Uh, his first go around as our punt returner was probably the last time we had a really good one. Uh, I think Raynaud was only on kickoffs. He might have done punt returns too, but he had too many mistakes also. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, th- there's not much else to add. Like, it- it's been forever. And it's almost the point where you can tell when the Titans have their best you know, punt returner or that they'll have in the next five years because you're just happy when he gets five yards and they're in the flag. Because every other time, whether it's McCluster or whoever it is, you have these sidewindy guys who go back and forth until there's a holding call and then you get moved back ten <laughs> yards on top of a bad like kick return anyway. So yeah. you know that that's miserable to watch. So and I think Humphreys did it last year, didn't Correct. he? Correct. Like mm-hmm. so And he was actually pretty good at it for a little bit, but then it turns out when you have a pretty important player on offense returning kicks and taking hits, it's not great for the offense as a whole. So, you know, there's there's some people who believe that you should only have offensive players return punts because – and kickoffs because it's more natural to them. And I don't know whether I agree or disagree, but I will say it's hard to find somebody who's skilled enough with the ball in their hands to make a play – and then not be a starter on offense when on defense, it does seem like there are some guys who are good enough to play rotationally and who also you don't care if they get thumped. Now, King, I'm not sure if he qualifies in that because he's going to be your starting slot corner. But at the same time, when the upside is so high and he's done it for so long and you're not asking him to do something new and different, like that, that seems to be something fair to ask. But yeah, like it would be nice if you know, we were the team that got 15-yard punt returns and was surprisingly in enemy territory to start a drive instead of, you know, back inside your 10 for
1: two out of every three drives. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to preview the Titans' upcoming opponent, the Chicago Bears. All right, we're back, and we're going to now preview the Chicago Bears. Although, before we do that, one more question – on the Desmond King front, guys, you know, the, the Titans defense was awful against the Bengals, and we we haven't even really talked about how, how bad it was other than in the context of the players who have been released. Does everything get magically fixed now? I mean, I, I put out on Twitter earlier today, and a lot of people liked that, you know, at one week after having 36-year-old Joseph – and Butler, who actually hadn't been that bad, Butler, and Chris Jackson slash Kareem Orr, uh pr- presumably there's a chance on Sunday it's going to be Desmond King, Adoree Jackson, and Malcolm Butler. That's going to make things a lot better, you would think, but that doesn't necessarily solve the pass rush problem. It works hand-in-hand, hand, though, and, Will, you're correct to assess that it's a chicken-and-the-egg argument. I had two people in my mentions earlier today on Twitter arguing about whether the coverage or the pass rush is the bigger problem. And I wanted to be like, does it really matter? They both stink. Do things get fixed now? I mean, I don't know. At least some sort of market improvement.
2: Yes, things will get better. Because just by taking Joseph off the field – and taking Chris Jackson off the field, assuming Adore Jackson comes back, uh, your your coverage is going to be is going to be better just because those guys were were bleeding were were bleeding yards to to receivers. But they don't fix the fact that the pass rush was bad, like you said. They don't fix the fact that Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown are getting washed out on every run play. Uh, They always seem to be out of position in coverage also, or when receivers are coming across the field. Kevin Byard and Vaccaro are non-existent. They haven't made plays all season. So, yeah, you know, King and Adora Jackson will be improvements over the guys at their positions, but the scheme is still bad. The scheme is bad, unless they change the scheme because of these guys coming into the defense— I mean that's note, possible.
1: On that note, let me say this because I thought Mike Herndon, our our friend that we have on here very often, we had him on last week, had a good tweet that he put out where he said, "Guys, I don't know what scheme y'all are wanting them to run that doesn't end with the 36 year old cornerback getting exposed." Now, Will, you had a good counter to that in saying you have him press and then have have your all world safety Kevin Byard play over the top, but. I, I I, do have a problem with the scheme, especially the off-coverage thing. But at a certain point, I'm like, I mean, you can only say, hey, Rashawn, hey, hey, Jayon, hey, Vic Beasley, go sack the quarterback. Like, I at a certain point, it's just like the players have to make a play, right? Well, that's true, but, like, we saw uh,
3: on Sunday how – off coverage can work like Malcolm Butler played off coverage on AJ green. And the response was okay. When the ball's in the air, you've got to flip your hips and close and nobody else is doing that. But, you know, say what you want about AJ green. He had nearly 200 yards in the two games before this. And, you know, it it wasn't like they were just playing scrubs that, you know, didn't deserve to be in the league. They're playing pretty decent teams. So, you know, for what Butler did now, you could also make the argument that why would you ever throw towards Butler when you could just throw it Jonathan Joseph. But I can only evaluate what happened. And if they want to play that scheme and knowing Adori and knowing Malcolm Butler, that's fine to play off coverage if you play with those guys because they can close. Dory is maybe you know a top three corner in the league at closing when the ball's in the air and making a secure tackle. Like he he's always been great at it. So. That's fine. My problem is if you if you see somebody not doing their job, like you saw with Joseph, where you've got somebody playing that off coverage and he's not closing and he's giving up too much space and then getting his ankles absolutely snapped in the open field like you have to make an adjustment. It, the scheme as a whole, I have different issues with. Like I have issues with what you know the interior pass rush and what they do on stunts with the linebackers and where the safeties even are. But as a concept, I don't hate off coverage with your corners as long as they do their job. But if you don't adapt to them not being able to do their job, that's where the problem is. So going back kind of the original question of, is this magic and magically gonna fix everything? I don't want to say yeah because that's such a big leap, but they did just change 66% of their defensive backfield and they improved it with a guy who was an all pro two years ago and who has better completion percentages and better uh, quarterback rating towards him in coverage this year with Desmond King. And then you're putting a guy who is probably your number one corner for the last two, even maybe three, well, Logan was pretty good three years ago, but the last two years, you're getting him back into Dory Jackson. So now all of a sudden you have to be cohesive and very clear jobs who can fit this game well that get put in, and that doesn't absolve you of the sins that you had before, but at the same time, it does kind of make all those problems go away. Like I I am hesitant to say that because I've been critical, but like if you have guys who can actually do these weird things that you're asking them to do, then all of a sudden the players are making plays and it doesn't really matter what the scheme is like you were saying. So I I don't think it magically makes the scheme better, but I think there are guys who you can't really go wrong with no matter what scheme you have. And that's nice enough to where it really makes the point moot.
1: All right, let's talk about the Bears now. I this team when they were undefeated they they started 4 and 0. Did they make it to 5 and 0 or did was that when they lost?
2: Um, I'm not sure. I don't think they were ever 5 and 0. I think they started 3 and 0. They 3 and 0 and then they lost to the Colts and then they got the 5 and 1. Correct. Uh, they have- and then They lost to the Bears. No, sorry, lost to the Rams and Saints. Saints, Saints, yeah. Regardless of of
1: the semantics of it, they have always struck me as a team that is not as good as their record says they are, primarily due to one position, that being the quarterback, because they went from Mitchell Trubisky, who is healthy Jake Locker, to noodle arm Nick Foles. And... Though, yeah, they've got talent. It's a pretty good defense, especially with guys like Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith. But this is not a very scary team. Like, looking back at the Bengals, I mean, offensively, the Bengals are much more imposing, I would think, than the Bears are, especially, you know, had the Bengals been fully healthy. But even, you know, some of the replacements played well. I feel like I'm talking in circles. So help me out.
2: No, you're right. You're right. This is not a scary team by any means. Uh, the only reason they win games is because their defense is fantastic. It has been for the past couple of seasons. They have really good players on the on that side of the ball. And when you have a really good defense that doesn't, you know, give up a lot of big plays, uh, you're pretty much in every game. And within those games, your offense can find a rhythm in any given drive and then you know you end up in a close game or you end up even winning that game. So that's how that's kind of what they are. But the Titans offense is really good. I don't see them really struggling against this team especially at home. Uh, I think they should be able to move the ball consistently. It might be a game where Gus Kowski gets a bunch of field goals, but I do think the Titans will be able to move the ball. Uh the thing is the, the Bears offense is it's Unfortunately, I have seen too much Bears, too many Bears games this season and last season too. They had a bunch of uh, primetime games for no reason. But they're they're so bad. They're so bad. Because Foles is, like you said, he doesn't have a lot of arm strength. He has very little pocket awareness. He does have times where he makes good throws, but very few and far between. He loves turning the ball over, loves throwing the ball to to the defensive players. He's just not good. He's just not good. And he's not athletic, so he can't really escape uh, any pass rushes. He offers nothing in terms of scrambling ability. The thing is, the Bears do have very good skill position players. Uh, David Montgomery is... He's kind of uh, he's kind of a plotter, but he breaks a lot of tackles, and he's actually a really good receiver out of the backfield. Allen Robinson, we know how good he is. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. They have Darnell Mooney, who is one of the really quick uh, rookies. He gets open very often, especially down the field. The problem is Foles can't throw down the field, so it's kind of a moot point. And, and then they also have Anthony Miller and, and Jimmy Graham at tight end. So they have good talent. They have good talent. But the quarterback is not good. He's incredibly inconsistent, and they also have an offensive line that's not very, they, they're like they're they don't they don't move the defensive line all that often, and their run their run blocking is particularly bad. So, I mean, the Titans should win this game, but I I don't know I don't know. They just lost to the Bengals, so I have no idea what's going to happen.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean. The the Bears are weird. They've got an offensive lineman who's out and maybe another one who's out, which is basically a curse for the Titans since they can't get a pass rush on anybody. And, you know, maybe they fix that, but I've, I've said this a lot with this defense. Until they actually make changes, I'm not going to assume anything or believe anything. Um, you know, I don't think the Bears are good. And I think they're kind of... They're a team that relies on, okay... What can my three, you know, dynamic wide receivers do with the ball in the air? And a lot of times that works out. And not enough to where they put up 30 points a game, but enough to where they put up 20 points and they have Khalil Mack on one side of the ball, which really helps. And Roquan Smith, who's been really fast, and you know, you've got other good players around Eddie Jackson. Like you've got a good defense, even if Khalil Mack's not like JJ Watt or TJ Watt or either the Boses or Chandler Jones, where he puts up 20 sacks a year. That's never been his game, but you know, like they're kind of the classic bears, like except instead of having a good running back, they have a couple of good wide receivers. So, you know, how, how do the Titans match up with that? I mean, they match up terribly with everybody on defense because they're one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So, you know, even if you're playing a bottom ten offense, you're still a bottom five defense. So that doesn't really help much. And on offense, like it's kind of like the Steelers game where you know you're putting strength against strength, and you're just seeing who wins. And maybe the new signings and the changes in the lineup will make a difference in that game. Maybe they won't. But you know, it it does feel like it's going to be another close game where probably at halftime the titans are going to be behind and you have to hope they make some kind of change between the second third quarter that actually makes a tangible difference otherwise you're going to lose three in a row and there's going to be some serious questions
1: i i don't know I, i think it's going to be an interesting game to watch certainly uh i'm not going to do what i did last week where i made the Bold proclamation that there was no way the Titans were going to lose that game. That I would be shocked if they lost it. Shocked I was. I was. I was proven very wrong.
2: We we told you. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Told.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't... <laughs> so much I can tell you not to jinx the Titans. Hey, I, I, I don't. I don't, also, I
1: don't. I don't believe in jinxes unless they come from Matthias.
3: That is true. Who does have some otherworldly power? But I mean, at this point. Like I said, until we see differently, this is a team that could beat anybody in the league and who could easily lose to anybody in the league. It, like, isn't that they, so
1: frustrating because they feel like they've been that way for the last like two years?
3: Well, but what makes it even worse is it used to be because they were inconsistent. Like, would you get a 100-yard game from Derrick Henry? Would you get a big game from A.J. Brown or Corey Davis? Yeah. And so far, those answers are always yes, the problem is they're consistently bad on defense and they're consistently
1: good <laughs> on offense. It's just can the yeah. offense score enough points to bail them out.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 what we've had pro- – I mean, it's why I don't necessarily believe in the Seahawks this year. It's why Kansas City had an uphill battle to kind of change perception about them. Like, it's why so many teams have gone to the Super Bowl and lost is because if you're really bad on one side of the ball, it's really hard to win a Super Bowl.
1: I do have one more thing I'd like to talk about before we get to stop the nonsense. Um, And that's the notion that the Titans not having someone who is a named defensive coordinator is hurting them on defense. Mike Vrabel was asked after the loss to Cincinnati whether that is the case. He was flat out asked, do you regret not naming a defensive coordinator? And his response was to the effect of, I am positive, those were his exact words, I'm positive that that has nothing to do with our struggles, with the problems that they're having. He was then asked on Monday to expand on that, to to sort of defend the answer. Why are you so confident that that has nothing to do with the struggles? And to be frank... Before I heard the explanation, I was sort of in the camp of, yeah, he should have hired a defensive coordinator, blah, blah, blah. But then he gave this answer, and it changed my view. He said something to the effect of, it's not like we're just in total disarray and we kind of walk in the meeting room on a Friday and we're like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we ran this? He said, Shane Bowen runs the meetings, we do them the exact same way we did them last year. It's just Dean Pease isn't here. And we work through the film, and we work through strategy, and then on game day, Shane Bowen calls the play. And so my response to that is, I mean, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's not like the process has changed at all. So what I would say is if you're going to criticize the Titans and say, they would be a lot better if they just had a defensive coordinator. The real criticism is that they didn't bring someone in from the outside. Because that title, has, after Vrabel's answer, is meaningless. They are doing everything that they would be doing if Dean Pease was there. It's just, he's not. He's not there making the calls. The criticism needs to be... Not about the title, but with who is calling the plays and the fact that Vrabel trusted someone on the inside as opposed to seeking someone on the outside. It has nothing to do with the title or naming someone the defensive coordinator.
2: Yeah, I mean, the problem is that the guy he elected to call the plays it has been bad at his job, right? It's not yes. that the guy. It's not that the guy doesn't have the defensive coordinator title. Like, what would that change? Shane Bowen would still be the one calling the plays, and coordinating the defense. So he just picked the wrong guy, it seems. Unless the players are just that proved that dramatically, uh, and that's been the main issue for the defensive struggles.
3: So I have. I guess a theory about this. It's not really a theory. It's more just like this is my bone to pick with this. You lose Dean Pease, who, you know, we we've talked about before. Like I thought he got way too conservative once uh, the offense was good enough to support the team, and you know, I, I I still stand by that decision. And I don't know how much of that was Brable. I don't know how much of that was, you know, Shane Bowen's input, which I guess exists, but. My problem is you replaced one guy with two guys because I I don't believe that Mike Vrabel was as involved in 2019 in the game plans and all the stuff in the meeting rooms and all that. I I think that he probably let Dean Pease do that because that just makes sense to me. And you replaced the job that Dean Pease is doing with two guys who one in Shane Bowen has never called, a play on defense before this year. And the other is Mike Vrabel, who's only called plays once in his career. And it was at Houston when they had the worst defense in the NFL. And you put those two guys together with no clear delineation and responsibilities. And you basically said, we'll be fine without a preseason to figure it out. Let's just roll the ball out and see how it goes. That is a problem. I mean, that, that is a fundamental problem lack of understanding of how important the defensive coordinator position is and what you're supposed to do. And to me, like, look, if he says, you know, we do the same thing every week that we did with with Dean Pease where we make our game plan, we identify the weaknesses, and then we go in and call games. It's like, yeah, that's great. But if you've ever played Madden and you're like, I'm going to run the ball 10 times in a row, and then you get stopped 10 times in a row – You have to make an adjustment. You have to make a decision based on your experience, on what's worked in the past, what guys do well. Things that a defensive coordinator, especially a seasoned defensive coordinator, can quickly adapt to. Instead, you've got Vrabel and Shane Bowen who are stepping on each other's toes and don't seem to have cohesive ways to to adjust on the fly. And that's why you get Jonathan Joseph targeted for two straight weeks when the Titans allow nearly historically bad two-game uh, third-down conversion rates, because all because they can't figure out what to do. And so they panic. They throw new guys on the field with no – no different you know they didn't change the way they were playing defense they didn't play press coverage with ty smith they did the exact same thing that they were doing with joseph and they got beaten the same way and they panicked and they changed guys again like that shows a lack of understanding on what to do in a situation when this goes wrong and that's why at the highest level of football you don't employ guys who have not called plays at any point in their career, and you definitely don't do something that 30 of the 32 teams in the league, you don't go away from the conventional wisdom of a defensive coordinator when 30 of the 32 teams in the NFL have a defensive coordinator. And the other team is the New England Patriots who have Bill Belichick, who was a defensive coordinator for decades for great teams. So, you know, I, there's, there's a reason why, even though Mike Vrabel says, you know, we're not doing anything different, it, it's a good answer on paper, and I'm sure he believes that that's the correct answer, but there is a fundamental issue with, with that line of thinking that doesn't take into consideration all the things that we see every Sunday that get the Titans beaten, which is a lack of ability to change when things don't work out the way they expected.
1: Time for Stop the Nonsense, guys. And, uh, you know, the election was yesterday. This episode's coming out on Wednesday. So I'm going to guess that there's been some nonsense that's happened since we recorded this episode. Um, but I think we have a lot to choose from as it stands. Who would like to go first?
2: I'll get it started. Mine's pretty quick. It's, uh, It's essentially about the NFL, uh, the Baltimore Ravens, and Marlon Humphrey. So yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Marlon Humphrey tweets, I got the Rona. Hopefully I'll be back healthy soon. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, he played. He played on Sunday, by the way, against the Steelers uh, one day uh, before saying that he tested positive. That means that he tested positive in with the pregame test but you don't know the you don't know the the results until later so that's why he was able to play in the game but where this gets absolutely ridiculous is if you go back to the practice report injury report from the week before the Steelers game Humphrey was listed as I think out out or limited I don't know with an illness on Wednesday he came back practice the next two days but he very clearly was showing some uh coronavirus symptoms or he wouldn't have been out with an illness what else could an illness be you know very similar symptoms so he tested negative for the coronavirus right those two days that he came back and coming up until the game but i don't think he should have been allowed to play to be completely honest with you and i think it's just a huge just a huge dark gray area uh in the in the NFL's testing process and in the fact that they let a lot of these guys play when like they might have it. it's just it's insane to me. I don't know how we've even gone this far in the season. I really don't. And it seems like we're just going to power through and we're somehow going to get to the end, but I just I'm baffled by some of the decisions that these teams make that this league makes that these, they sometimes these players make and it's just such a weird and, and, and crazy situation. And it's just getting worse because if you've seen the numbers for the coronavirus uh, around this country, it's getting worse and it looks like it's going to keep peaking every single, every single day, pretty much. And, I don't know how the NFL is going to keep going about this, but hey, hopefully, hopefully they can make it through the season. I'll go next, and that's a great. Hold on, on.
3: okay. Let me let me tell you something real quick. Uh, You obviously have forgotten that Trump said uh, a few months ago that November fourth we won't even hear about the coronavirus anymore. So that's right. So we're in the clear. We're in the clear. Yeah, by the time our listeners are hearing this,
1: you've already—it's gonna be over.
3: Not, yeah, it's
1: probably done. So I can't, I can't wait to go I see some some shows this weekend at the theater. I don't want to trash
3: your t- your stop the nonsense, Matthias. But you know, I, I by the time this comes out, it'll already be gone because we'll be cured. So yeah,
1: yeah. that's good news. Um, so mine is. Uh, do either of y'all use TikTok? No. Okay. <laughs> so I use it, but I like the stuff that gets popped up for me is not like the weird, like you know, fifteen-year-old girls dancing to pop songs. I, I I have like a lot of comedy content, and and basically, if you look at my Twitter feed, you take that and put it into video form, and that's what my TikTok looks like. Those of you listening who who watch TikTok videos will know exactly what I'm talking about. There are two things. There are actually three, but I'm having trouble remembering the third one. But there are two things that will always get me to scroll past a video. And I am pleading with all of you who make videos to stop doing this. The first, if I scroll on the video and it starts with that, like, Cheesy, crum, crumbled. Like you have to stop, and then, and then something else. And now, Will and Matias you probably, you're probably lost right now. But I promise, it, it, anybody listening to this, back me up. Tweet us at No Nonsense Pod. Let them know I'm not crazy. This is a real thing that happens a lot. Um, th- that has to stop, guys. You've got to stop posting videos like that because I'm gonna keep scrolling past them. The other is. Songs that or, – or, or videos that use that song from the uh, the Disney movie where it's like, it's just a song in an efficient way. Like, instantly we'll scroll past those. This is more <laughs> – my Stop the Nonsense this week has become more of uh, my pet peeve than like a pointing out something that's like objectively nonsense. But that's just uh, – what I'm what I'm feeling today. Perhaps next week we can go back to more a, a traditional segment. No, this is good because I always go
3: too far into uh, like football minutiae sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> that bounces out. Um, but yeah, I de- I definitely can't relate because I don't even have TikTok. So I'm just like, yeah, like I'll I'll have to talk to my like sisters-in-law and see what they say because they're like they're well, I guess they're eighteen and twenty now. Wow, I'm old. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so my stop the nonsense is the Houston Texans who because of poor management are now with an, I guess, quote unquote, interim general manager and an interim head coach and knowing that they're facing what's probably going to be a rebuild that takes a year or two uh, because they're eventually they're going to lose JJ Watt and They don't have anything at wide receiver and the skill positions are weak all across. So it's going to take them a while to build back up, but facing all of that again with a head coach and a quote unquote general manager who have no stake in the future of this organization, they're only trying to win as many games as they can to save their job or to get another job in the future. They decided not to trade several players, but specifically Will Fuller who. They were, you know, the Packers wanted to trade a fourth for him and the Texans wanted a second for him or whatever. And look, like, I get that on paper the argument is, yeah, well, they'll get a compensatory third-round pick and it doesn't matter. But there's a few issues with that. First of all, to get a compensatory pick, you have to not spend in free agency. And this is a team that is going to have to spend in free agency to fill their holes or else they're just going to be, you know, bottom of the barrel again next year and secondly it do, it doesn't make sense to ask for a second round pick for a player who's injured all the time who's going to be a free agent next year who probably isn't going to come back because you don't pay wide receivers anyway so like i don't understand holding on to him in a season where you've got no pick in the first round and I don't think they have a pick in the second round either, but they might. But either way, like you don't have a first round pick that's probably going to be a top 10 pick and maybe even a top five pick depending on how bad they really are. But you need all the you can get to help build your team. I don't understand why you let people who involved in – who aren't going to be involved in the decision-making process long-term make that decision for you. And it just goes, you know, I feel like the Texans have been stopped the nonsense candidates every week because the whole bill O'Brien stuff. And they fired bill O'Brien after four weeks, which why would you even do that? If you're going to do it like they just seem to be completely rudderless right now. And they missed out on what's probably their last chance to salvage any good part of this season. And, it is just insane that bad ownership and I guess whatever group thing is leading that team doesn't have a better sense of what they should be doing right now.
1: Anybody got anything else as we close out to say, I mean, we, we, this again, we're recording this Tuesday night at about seven thirty central time. Uh, uh, according to some people, the nation is just going to eat itself tomorrow and collapse. So I guess no one's even going to be listening to this, regardless of of who wins the election. Yeah, like this smoky crater that... Yeah, the
3: smoky crater that you're listening this from, like, (laughs) uh, know know that that we didn't know this was coming, and, you know, we apologize. uh, My stop the nonsense is the fact that the world is going to crumble overnight as anarchy reigns supreme.
1: Mine should have been, like, I get this is a very contentious election, it's a very important election, but what I don't understand is all this, like, apocalyptic talk of, like, that we're going to, the world will end if such and such outcome occurs, like. Let's tone it
2: down just a bit. All right, folks. I don't know. Next (laughs) time we do this pod, I might be doing it from Europe. We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) We don't
1: know. (laughs) All right, folks. That's going to do it for us. Uh, For Will and Matthias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world, and this week, everyone else in the political world, to stop the nonsense.